Vangana, here's a call on the blind, he goes to the open. Sherwin's kick is deflected, it's a try. Vangana, Vangana has claimed the four points. Vangana and his centre partner, Harris, got a ball away, backed up by Vangana. There's number two. It's in front, fourth tackle's gone. There's the opening for Vangana. Vangana, he will get number three. Nigel gets a hat-trick. Then Smith with a lovely ball. Travis Norton kicks ahead. A mile of speed outside him. Vangana will get try number four. Fourth try of the night. The last to do it for the Dogs was the little bloke alongside him now. Hazem El Masri in 1997 versus the Mariners. Away they go. The ball zipping along the back line. And it's coming back for Vangana to equal the record. Five tries in a game set in 1942 against Balmain by Edgar Newham. Vangana has scored five tries. You better take your boots off, my boy. Sterling's right. You're going to need them. And that is the end of the ball game. Nigel Vangana scored five brilliant tries. G'day everyone, Warwick Nicholson here from Not The Footy Show. This is episode 156, the Nigel Vungan interview. And uh, hopefully you find it interesting, because for some reason, we chatted for about an hour and he didn't hang up. Good signs. After the break, we'll join Nigel from the comfort of his station wagon. Excuse me, Daddy, I'm doing my tips. Okay, everybody, it's time for Nigel Vungana to join Not The Footy Show. For the first time ever, um, I met... Nigel, a couple of years ago when I joined the NRL, and um, he's done some pretty amazing work there. But you might know him a little bit more for, I don't know, the 140-odd tries he scored in 240 NRL games. Uh, Nigel, welcome to Not The Footy Show. Thanks for having me, my man. That's... You know, it was uh, it's good, to be, good to be on here with you, bro. Uh, uh, mate, I'm sure you've listened to absolutely none of the shows we've done so far, but hey, this could be the first. This, oh. this will be first. <laughs> I wanted to start off, mate, and ask a very simple question. Vangana. Am I saying it right? And if I'm saying it right, when did everybody else start saying it right? Well, you are saying it right, bro. And I'll tell you when it started. Like, I didn't realise, uh, obviously, when you're on the field and stuff, you don't hear what the commentators on TV are saying. So um, throughout our time at the Warriors, um, you know, obviously, my cousin Joe, um, he came into grade um, about a year before I did. So um, everyone just got comfortable calling him Joe Vagana. So uh, I guess that's how people were calling us. And then when I got to the Bulldogs, uh, there was a lot of people coming up to me in the first few rounds, and they were actually pretty upset. And they were saying to me, uh, aren't you angry at those commentators? And I said, why, what's going on? And they said, they're saying your name wrong. And I said, what do you mean? We had a few Friday night games, and Rebs was calling. And he said, um, they said, um, they're all all saying Vangana, Vangana. Uh, But we know it's uh, Vagana, like Joe Vagana, you know. And I said to them, well, you know what? Um, Rabs is actually the only one who's saying it right. So uh, from then on, and, and I know Rabs contacted me uh, not long after. He, they must have been sending him some stuff direct, I guess. Yeah. And uh, and I told Rabs, you know, listen, you, you're saying it right. So, you know, don't worry about it. And I think because at the Dogs, we were getting a lot of Friday night football games at the time, it helped 
mm. everyone, I guess, understand. And, and I guess, um, you know, when you're calling games, generally when you're, um, uh, you know, when you score tries and, and that sort of stuff, they say your name, you know, during the play and during the replay and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I was pretty lucky at the Dogs um, to get over a little bit here and there. And, and they... Um, they had plenty of opportunities to say my name. <laughs> so, uh, nice. you know, I, I have to thank Mavs for that. No, well, we opened up, actually, the podcast with the uh, audio of your five tries against South. So I think you had a few times oh, where he needed to, um, <laughs> to say that. Quickly, before we jump off that, um, whose name has been butchered the most that you can recall? Who, or who's still getting it wrong? Or what's just the, someone's name who just no one seems to be able to get right? I'll tell you who's the biggest one uh, at the Sharks. Uh, everyone calls him Sam Tongatizi, uh, but it's actually Sam Tongataese. Tongataese. And, yeah, and Sammy's been actually trying to get people out there to, to say it, Tongataese. And, um, um, you know, Amy from the office. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Amy, when she wants guys, I'll say, if you say their name properly, then you can have them. Um, so Amy's pretty cool at it, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, for the most part, uh, I guess, and, and the success Cronulla had last year, uh, Sammy coming back from injury to play in that grand final as well. Um, they're still, you know, comfortable with Tugatizi. They've made it a catch cry now. Yeah. You know, somebody gets a bit angry or someone's sort of getting a bit stressed out and they're saying, hey, Tugatizi, you know, take it easy. <laughs> so that probably doesn't help him. Infield, Tugatizi, plenty of shots there, not many warriors. Tugatizi goes himself, slamming <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I think that's one that, um, you know, with, with um, Sam Tungatsaese, um, I guess he's going to be stuck with for a while. And, and it's actually quite funny because when Petro retired yep. and uh, there was a, there was a, there must have been something going on at the time around uh, pronunciation of, of, of the names or the Pacific names and someone asked Petro and he actually said, well, listen, throughout my whole career, they were saying my name wrong. So it's not uh, Sivan or Siva, it's um, like Sivan the Siva. C in Fiji is TH, yeah, yeah, as you know, you know. So I think it's, you know, sometimes you get, it's like you get stuck with it, you got to work harder. It's almost like the more successful you are, mm. it's, it's it's a catch-22 if they don't say it right first, you know, uh, and trying to change it. But um, I guess, um, you know, Sammy's pretty adamant that he's, he wants to change it before he retires. And just one more time, how do you say it properly? Tangata Ese. Tangata Ese. All right. So the millions and millions that are listening to your podcast will be sweet from now on. Like, there's like six people, mate. Six million, uh, isn't it? <laughs> six billion, yeah, let's go with that. Um, now, quickly, um, i got to give you credit. You've, I, I've never felt um, so humbled and undermined as you calling me daily on the touch ball field. So I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> from the, now, I've got a theory. The reason you called me daily was because I was wearing a Raiders jersey and you had no idea what my last name was. Am I right? So I knew you were Raiders, and I saw I saw Laurie. I've seen Laurie in retirement, and you guys kind of have a similar physique, although he has started training. <laughs> Poor bloke, mate. He's letting himself go if that's the case. The daily that capitalises runs through the gap over the thirty. Support is coming. Daily, he won't need it. Daily, he scores. Daily puts it down. Okay, let's get into it. I, I, I guess you've just moved back to to Auckland. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I've sort of uh, only two weeks ago, actually. So this is actually my first interview oh. in NZ for about seventeen years. <laughs> um, I left at the end of two thousand, so it's um, it's good to be good to be home and, and looking forward to the challenges ahead. I'm going to do some league stuff over here with the New Zealand League, but yep. still working for the NRL. So you asked to do with the NRL, cool. Now, we'll get to, to I guess to that part of it at the at the end. I wanted to 
just very quickly, um, your story began in Auckland, is that right? Yep, so it began here, just down the road actually. So how far have you moved away from where you grew up? Actually, I've actually moved back into the same hood. Wow. Um, so I'm actually um, uh, about a two-minute drive from where, from the house that I grew up in. Wow. And and the local club that I played for down uh, called Richmond, yep. Richmond Rovers or Richmond Bulldogs, uh, which is in central Auckland, uh, an old sort of uh, club that had been around for a long time uh, through the um, – you know, the inner city sort of um, struggle street, I guess, uh, similar to the Redfern All Blacks, I guess, for gotcha. those people that are based in Sydney. Yep. And inner city club and um, a lot of other clubs in the city have died. You know, the sort of uh, dynamics of the environment have changed. But Richmond is still around, so I'm going to take my uh, eight-year-old boy down there when they register and get him running around in the in the jersey again so uh, the next generation coming through. So it's good good to be back in the area. Absolutely. Um, I guess one of the things I wanted to bring up as we, as we talk about sort of you, gr- you growing up and, and the like is there's a website in the US called the Players Tribune and it's run by, I think Derek Jeter set it up and it's essentially, have you, have you seen it before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it, man. I'm, have you I'm, seen I'm the, the article they do where they get a current athlete or a just retired yeah. athlete to write a letter to their younger selves? Yeah, yeah. If you wrote yeah, a letter to the younger Nigel, yeah. Growing up in Auckland, what would you tell him? Oh man, uh, growing up in Auckland, um, uh, if I was to write um, a letter to my younger self, um, I'd, I'd uh, sure I don't know what I'd tell him, man. I, I sort of, I was pretty um, conservative growing up, and and um, like I sort of had one, two, three, four older siblings. You know? <laughs> So you know, in the in the Pacific, uh, in the Pacific, as you know, the, the oldest of, oldest child of the family generally does all the talking for the rest of the kids. So gotcha. I don't really sort of say too much. So when I come into the environment, I was still still like that. Yep. Uh, but I'd sort of um, remind myself, I guess, growing up, that to 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 continue to stay humble. Uh, there was guys around me that sort of got, I guess, got caught up in the 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 fast life and the fast lane. I guess uh, I come into the Warriors. In the first year, '95, so there was, um, there was a, they were on the brink of the Super League war, so there was a lot of sort of stuff happening in and around that yeah. environment, um, and some guys were getting offered some pretty crazy money uh, for not really having done too much. So um, I think for me it was, it was, um, it, it'll, it'll be continue. Actually, you know, one thing I would tell my younger self is for those guys around you that that I could see uh, heading heading down a path that they would regret later. Uh, maybe be a bit stronger and pulling them aside, yeah. and 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 try and sort of have a bit more confidence in my ability to to just help them. Like I'd sort of see stuff and think, listen, that guy's going down the wrong path. But because I was a rookie and I'm a young guy coming in the system, yeah. it, it was quite tough. But I guess um, you know that's that's probably something I'd I'd say to 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 a young uh, Mr. Vangana. <laughs> nice. Um, what was the buzz like? in Auckland slash New Zealand when the Warriors got their own team? Man, it was crazy. It was crazy. And my first year, so the first year, so we did preseason. Uh, we started in October 94 because we weren't playing the year before. And um, they took us away for a, a camp weekend camp with all the families and that sort of stuff. They hired out an island, as you do, <laughs> uh, off the coast. <laughs> and, um, and you know, everyone went there for four days or a long weekend or whatever it was. And they basically just said, you know, just have fun. You know, enjoy each other's company. Uh, we're heading into this new domain. We were the first professional team in New Zealand. So no one True. really knew what we were supposed to do, what we were heading into. 
uh, it was my first that was my first contract I studied uh, I was out of school that year and and went to uh, what's called Unitech over here so it's sort of like a TAFE I guess yeah gotcha. and I was studying in and I was studying uh, engineering so I did engineering that whole year and the exams were in October November when when this camp on and preseason was on and I was you know sort of just um, overawed by the um, the environment that yeah. uh, I was too scared to talk to the head coaches and John Money was coaching that sort of stuff. So we had exams on, and I didn't go to any of my exams wow. that year because it clashed with training. Yeah, you know, I mean, times have changed now, but back then it was like um, footy was it, said, you know? Yeah, and 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 the Warriors were actually a brand that was going crazy around the country. It was it was ridiculous. Everywhere we went, they had posters up of everyone. And I remember sort of going uh, going for a bite to eat with a couple of the boys during the preseason, and we go and pay, and they say, no, uh, no, 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 don't worry about it, you know. And we're like, no, you know, listen, listen we'll pay whatever it costs. And and that whole year, we didn't pay for anything. We wow. go to restaurants, we go to bars. It was like we were rock stars, and I was nineteen at the time. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, is this what this world is about? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So the guys at yeah. our age, we were like, sort of really, we were really thrown into the deep end of. The fast life, I guess, and 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 what sort of life this environment could potentially lead to. You. The first professional, the All Blacks weren't even professional then; yeah. they went professional a year later. So everywhere we went, everyone knew about us. Everyone knew about our profiles. There was posters everywhere. It was actually pretty crazy. Every game was sold out that year. Yeah, uh, actually, for the first two years, every game was sold out at, at Mount Smart. Uh, it was just ridiculously, you know. I mean, looking back at it now, we had uh, I um, one game. We had a um, for pre-match entertainment. They brought some tanks onto the field from the army. You know, nice. <laughs> there's tanks on the field. You know, they I mean, tear up. Like, like, Auckland's not known for its um, dry weather. So did they? Um, did it tear up the yeah. field or what? Well, I don't think there was much consideration back then into uh, you know protecting the ground. Nice. Uh, well, no one knew that you were supposed to protect the ground. I guess you know, like yeah. everything was new. The whole franchise. And um, it was it was uh, we had a whole heap of different sponsors. For example, looking back, we had a you know Asics which did our shoes. Then you had like um, an, a, a travel sponsor which was a different gear company. We had Nike uh, who wow. was like our home sponsor. We had um, uh, a uh, casual wear sponsor. You know, just everyone just wanted to be a part of it. It was just crazy. Well, that was where marketing probably figured. Let's have everybody sign up rather than exclusively going with anybody. Well, that's it, you know, and from what I hear, we lost a lot of money that year at the Warriors. <laughs> I wasn't involved behind the scenes, but uh, from what I hear, uh, Ian Robson was our CEO. Oh, yeah. so Ian Robson was a guy from the AFL, and and um, from what I hear, um, um, money was no object. Um, they were coming into the Super League war, so yeah. I'm not sure maybe they'd already signed up and got a whole heap of money, um, but um, it was it was very much, uh, you know, let's let's um, turn this this country upside down. And um, and get everyone on board. We did a promo one time where we, the whole squad rocked up, and um, there was two planes. We're at the airport. There's two planes, and they you're on a list, you know, plane one, plane two. So basically, plane one went around the North Island. Wow. You just flew flew up, you know. Say you left Auckland and you yeah. flew up and you landed, you know, in Wellington. And at the hangar, you know, the plane will drive into the hangar, and the hangar was full of people. So you'd walk out the plane, you know, like we just come back from the Olympics. Everyone's in the hangar. You'd sign autographs. You're there for an hour. You're back on the plane and you go do a next stop. So you do about four stops. And and I was on the other plane that did the South Island. Yeah. And we all did that in one day. 
you know, like six in the morning and you got back at 10 o'clock that night. But, you know, that was a promo tool back then. And here they come. Dean Bell will cherish and remember this magic moment in his rugby league career like none other. From an avenue of fire, they emerged. A new breed of warrior for the game of rugby league. When Dean Bell led Auckland out for the first time on March the 10th, 1995, it was one of the most significant moments in the code's history. Is it, is it fair to say that the Warriors were given all-black status straight away? Yep, yeah, yeah. Do you reckon that was a and, bad thing for the team? Well, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think um, it, it would have been... I don't think it was bad for the team uh, because that year they actually they missed the semis. Uh, they missed the playoffs by one game. Yeah. But they had two points deducted because back then you had your 13 players on the field, your two fresh reserves. Yeah. And then they used to suit up, sort of like rugby now, you might suit up 10 guys but only use four of them. Yeah. And they got confused one game and they used an extra sub. It was against uh, West. And um, those points got deducted. They end up missing out on the eight because by two that. points. Yeah. So uh, yeah. they still would have made the eight, regardless of all that stuff. But but you know, I don't I don't know if it was too much of a distraction. Okay. I just think it was um, it was something that nobody was ready for, and we were just in in a, in the thick of it. I mean, I haven't been involved in anything like that ever since. Well, my question, just quickly, we'll we'll get off the um, that period in a sec. But you had a lot of English imports that first year. Did they yeah. spend a lot of time with the whole group, or were they a little bit separate? Um, no, no, Dennis Betts uh, was good. You know, he was really good. Andy Platt was good. Uh, we had a lot of guys, like Greg Alexander was there, so Brandy was there. Yep. Brandy was really good. Uh, Phil Blake was really good. Yeah. You know, Manoa Thompson. A, he's got a thousand actually, tries that, that year. Uh-huh. Uh, Phil Blake's got a thousand tries that first year, from memory. Yeah, yeah. Blake, he's a really good guy, you know, real and, and quiet and humble and... And, um, you know, he was really good. So so for the most part, most of the guys were all um, – it's really hard to stay separate when you're in New Zealand because <laughs> everyone's pretty crazy. And, yeah. and, and, you know, if you don't get on, they'll, they'll find a way to get on gotcha. because everyone will just tease you until you become part of the bunch. You know what I mean? <laughs> nice. So we, it was actually a really fun year that year. Dean Bell was our captain. Yep. So Dean uh, come back from Wigan. Um, so he knew a lot of the English guys, but he was also, you know, I, I guess a Kiwi legend. So he knew the Kiwi culture and maybe helped the guys uh, or prepared the guys before they got here. Gotcha. Uh, but for the most part, um, everyone was everyone was pretty cool. Sweet. Um, we'll quickly just touch on Super League. I mean, why yeah. why did you end up in Warrington? What was the what was the reason you went to Warrington? Well, I went to Warrington. Uh, so it was so first year of the Warriors was ninety five. So I signed up for two years. And um, coming off contract at the end of 96, there was a lot of changes happening at the club. And there was also a lot of um, – because we had the Warriors, all your superstars, your Dennis Betts and your yep. Steve Kearney's and your Brandies and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So you had your big dogs. Then you had a whole heap of your local stars. And then you had the young guys coming through. Well, that was how it was in the first yep. year. And yeah, we yeah. were part of this young guys group coming through. And we, we had a pretty successful group, uh, Stacey Jones, uh, Logan Swan. Um, you know, we had some decent guys in yeah, there. Yeah. And a lot of the public was sort of saying, why don't you give these young guys a crack? 
right? So and we're sort of like, well, listen, we you know we go wherever coach tells us to go. Uh, in '96, we um, they they offload a lot of players, and we end up playing the reserve grade comp, right? So we were going pretty good in reserve grade, ended up making the grand final. And and again, we had a, a good balance of young guys and, and, and senior guys. But for a lot of the guys, um, they felt that they weren't getting a fair crack in first grade. Yeah. And we didn't know what a fair crack was, really. And so um, at the, at that time, the English clubs were finding out, listen, there's a new team in Auckland. Let's go and see. Because they got some, it seems like they got some talent in New yeah. Zealand. Let's go and check it out. So a lot of the... And they'd already signed with Super League the year before. So they already had the money. Gotcha. So they were coming yeah, down yeah. in 96 going, listen, let's just go and see what we can get. Wigan came down, St. Helens came down, Warrington came down. And um, so at the end of that year in 96, I mean, I was sort of negotiating with the Warriors uh, to stay and stuff. I was keen to stay. Um, it, it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Warrington sort of rang me sort of out of the blue through a guy who was, you know, a friend of a friend type of thing yeah. and said, um, you know, listen, there's a guy here from Warrington. He's, um, you know, they're after some players. You maybe should go meet him. Oh, no, I'm happy to do whatever, you know. So I went and met him and he said, listen, you want to come over? And I said, um, yeah, sweet, why not? So I basically just agreed <laughs> just then because nice. I like travel, you know, yeah. I like to meet new people and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I thought, you know what? Why not go to England, man? I'm not, you know, it wasn't really a dream of mine to play NRL. Yeah. I just wanted to play for the Kiwis. Gotcha. I didn't think I'd be good enough, but I thought, you know what, if I'm not going to make Kiwis, I might just try and see the world and get rugby league to pay for it. <laughs> so that was my well, that's, that's worked for 20 years, yeah. No worries at all. Yeah, it's still working now. <laughs> so, uh, so and, and, and I sort of thought, so when an opportunity came up, I said, you know what, I'm off. And I did this actually through the semifinals when we were coming into the playoffs. So I sort of kept it quiet, didn't tell anyone. We sort of played the grand final. We, we lost the grand final to Cronulla by two points. Tried, we had a try disallowed, by the way. Um, uh, but anyway. Uh, so not, anyway you're not bitter, though. Sort of, not bitter. We're back. Uh, no, nah, I'm not too fast. It worked out all right. So we're back in... Um, we're back in New Zealand, and and a team's got a uh, barbecue going on to have a few beers. One of the guys goes, "Listen, um, I heard a story about someone in our team who's leaving and hasn't told anyone." You know? And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, oh, "Okay, they found out about me. I was going to tell them anyway, but you know, now's a good time to tell them." Yeah. So I'm getting ready to stand up. One of the other boys stands up, and he goes, "Okay, okay, I'm just going to let you know. I've signed. I'm going to Wigan." Everyone goes, "What?" <laughs> and then someone else stands up, and he goes, "All right, listen, I'm going to St Helens." I'm going, "What?" So over the next five minutes, half the team stood up saying, listen, I'm going here, I'm going here. That semi, we played the grand final like a few days earlier and everyone was a bit worried about how to let everyone else know because we were a pretty tight unit. Um, half the team left. Wow. So I think we had nine guys leave that year to go to the UK from that team. And I was one of them and yeah. I sort of um, was going more. Yes, hey guys, here, yeah, one more here, one more here, <laughs> one more guy over here. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go. So a couple of us, actually three of us, oh no, four of us went to, ended up at Warrington. Uh, there was two at Leeds, there was three at Wigan. Um, so it was actually, um, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty crazy. But that's that's basically how I got there. Yeah. You know what? If someone had come over from Australia and said, "Hey, do you want to come to Aussie?" I would have said, "Yes, we, no worries," because I just wanted to travel. Yeah. You know, um, and and plus. Um, a lot of the young guys didn't think we were getting a fair crack at, um, you know, at least trying out what first grade might look like. Yeah. Uh, even though I did make my debut that year. Well, I was going to ask you, the, the, the mighty, ba <laughs> yeah. the mighty yeah, bagpies so. got your uh, got your measure that game. 
You what? The Magpies got you in Campbelltown, didn't they? Yeah. Well, you know what happened, and I never sort of—I actually wasn't supposed to play that game. Um, we at the end of '95, we recruited John Kerwin, who is now Sir John Kerwin, and J.K. was a big-time All Black. You know, yeah. he's sort of um, well, he's he's knighted now. You know, so yeah. he's still a big deal in the rugby ranks, and they recruited him to the Warriors. So he was coming through anyway. He um, second game of the year, he he was sort of carrying an injury, and I'm um, uh, with the reserve grade. We used to travel and play beforehand. Yeah. And they ruled him out um, the day before the game. And I'm coming down in the lift, and the guy, uh, I get down into the lobby, and the guys go, well, listen, you're training uh, in the afternoon now with the first grade. Uh, JK just pulled out. And I'm going, what do you mean I'm training with the JK? <laughs> you know? So anyway, that's sort of, uh, I'm in there, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to play now. And I thought, oh, well, you know what, I might get, I'll, they put me on the bench, and I'm thinking, oh, well, you know what, if I get five minutes, you know, that'll do me. Um, so I'm on the bench watching the game. We're playing out of Campbelltown, and I and, and I feel these. We're in those big sort of like astronaut suits yeah, yeah. that the other boys used to wear on the yeah. bench. So we're in one of those guys, and um, I could feel some stuff hitting me on the back. Um, turn around, I'm thinking, oh no, well, maybe it might have been a bird or something like that, you know. Um, then it, then it's hitting me again. I turn around and couldn't see anything. I look on the ground. There's a, there's Easter eggs on the ground. And um and and uh, and I'm looking and these kids are throwing Easter eggs at us, yeah, you know, the little Easter eggs. And I'm thinking, what kind of a game is this? You know, I'm on the pitch, little kids in Campbelltown throwing Easter eggs at me, and um, anyway, they sort of someone got injured, and then the trainers come on and he's gone, uh, Nigel, you're on. And I'm going on where? And they're going get on the field. Um, so I stand up, but I those tracksuits have like yeah. one zip, yeah, you know, like the tearaways, yeah, yeah, but the zip got jammed. So I was trying to get the, I was trying to get the, the suit off. Um, the zips jammed. They're screaming at me. Uh, this is my debut. Kids are throwing Easter eggs at me. I'm going. This game sucks. So, so tell me, how many, <laughs> but, uh, how many Easter eggs did you put in your pocket? Oh, uh, actually, well, my cousin Joe was on the bench as well. So I'm, I'm pretty sure he would have grabbed the, grabbed the ball. So uh, for half time. Right. But uh, yeah, then I got on, and it was sort of a bit of a blur. I remember being uh, outside Tier Row party. Yep. So Tier was playing in the centres back then. And um, I just remember Tia going, Tia, what do I do? Tia, what do I do? Tia, what do I do? And basically just saying that the whole sort of, you know, the whole time on the field and all he was going was, shut up, man, shut up, man, shut up, man. Who, so you, we who, who were you marking? Who were you marking that day? Um, man, I can't remember. I can look it up. But I think, but I think it might have been, um, I think it might have been McGuinness. Yeah, Ken McGuinness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I think he was out there somewhere. I'm not sure if he was on the wing or in the centres. The three-quarter line that day was Darren Willis, Kevin McGuinness, Brandon Coston, and Ken McGuinness. Yeah, I think it was one of the McGuinness boys because um, I remember they put up a bomb, and which which was uh, the um, you know changed the game for us, I guess, or, or for them. And the fullback came off. Gene Namu. Yeah, Gene Namu. Yeah, yeah. So Gino, Gino came off. They moved Sean Hoppy. They moved Chop to fullback. Yeah. And they put me on the wing. So that was the change, right? Yeah. So anyway, I'm, um, uh, I'm, they put a bomb up, and it's those ones that, you know, lands between the, the winger and the fullback. And and Sean goes, um, it's yours, Gene. It's yours. <laughs> you know? And, you know, when you call out, you sort of hear, if it's not your name, you stop, and you don't, you, you know, don't get in the way of the other person. And I'm thinking, hey, Gene just went off. <laughs> I just came up with Gene. How's he going to catch it? 
so anyway, we're sort of doing like a stop, start, stop, start. The ball yeah. bounces in between us, goes over. McGinnis catches it, runs, scores a try. <laughs> and I think they end up winning by two or four points or something like that. Um, but um, you know, that's sort of you know, kind of like the, the my memories of that first game. Nice. <laughs> um, so it was good fun, though, mate. That's it's. I'll tell you, the Easter egg story is classic. Um, <laughs> how'd you end up? Uh, so at the start of that year, though, you played in the Super League Nines. I want. I know. I, I tweeted you about. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You played in Fiji and then you played for Western Samoa a year later in Townsville. Yeah, yeah. What was that environment yeah. like? Well, it was awesome. Well, it was actually quite funny because when they rang me for the nines, because the nines was in February yep. in Fiji, so it was before the – so basically I'd only played 95, um, the 95 season for our sort of our young guns team, I guess. Yep. And um, they rang me to come to training for this team, the nines. And I'm going um, – and it was over the over the sort of North Shore because the coach who was taking it was from that local club. Yep. And I said, well, how am I going to get there, man? I haven't been over there. You know? <laughs> uh, when I went over and they said, I thought it was like a, a come for a train and trial type thing. Yeah. But it was the actual team. So I, I'm in the car park and, and Ridgie's there, Matthew Ridge is there, Troy yep. Hoppy's there, and Steve Kearney's there. And they go, what are you doing here? And I'm, I don't know, somebody just wrecked me in a car. <laughs> and so we all get out and they have a meeting. They go, well, this is our team. I'm going, oh, and Stacey was there. Uh, and I come through the system with Stacey, you know, so yeah. I'm going. Uh, but he was already playing first grade by then, so yeah. it was sort of like, oh, okay, well, he's, you know, I know the guys, but I'm not still not too sure what I'm doing now. We end up going to Fiji and, and playing in that Nines tournament. And I remember going there, it was a Super League Nines. So all that stuff had just yeah. happened, I guess. And what they did is they basically at the Nines in Fiji, everyone was in two hotels. So I guess they had your top tier sort of nations in one and then your second tier nations in the other. So you had, I think it might have been six or eight teams in one hotel and the rest, you know, six or eight in the other. And we were in there with Great Britain, um, Australia, France, uh, a few others, you know. Yep. Now I remember being at breakfast with Stacey and we are going, look, 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 there's Steve Renoff. You know, look, 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 there's, you know, Wendell. Look, 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 you know, yeah. I'm thinking, man, you know, all these guys have breakfast, you know, because the Australian team was basically made up of the Canberra, you know, and, and Broncos. I oh, know, and Bulldogs. Yeah. So they had, you know, those sort of guys. Oh, actually, ET was there as well. I remember him being there. You know, so they had all these sort of uh, superstars, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, we've we'll, never played nice before, but we'll see how we end up. We end up, um, we end up knocking them out in the semis, and, and, uh, you just got to try. It, you just know? got to try. I did. I got there somewhere. <laughs> Mate, uh, the, the internet doesn't forget. Cool, man. It was a lot of fun. It's got Nigel Vungana, one try. John hey. Kerwin, one try. Gene Namu, one goal. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go, man. Me and JK. So I'm just waiting for them to make me uh, Sir Nigel over here. Well, if I can just bring up the uh, nines in Fiji, that'll be fine. Um, we'll jump forward a little bit because um, I'm just conscious of time. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I'm all right. Years in Auckland when you came back, what was the reason for coming back to Auckland? When? In 98. Oh, from, from England? Yeah. Um, so I was at Warrington. I actually, when I went there, I actually had it in my head that I'd, um, I was going to be there for 10 years. Wow. Like I sort of didn't really have, I just wanted to travel. I, I didn't really sort of know too much about the NRL then and, and, and I didn't really sort of, it wasn't really a, a big dream of mine. Uh, it was just an opportunity to play the sport I love, you know, in another country, in another place, and meet new people. So I thought, well, you know, I'm over in England. I don't know when I'll be back. 
And at the end of that, uh, halfway through the year, the club fell into f- – actually, sorry. So at the Warriors, John Money was coaching. He got sacked halfway through that year yeah. or maybe at the beginning. And Frank Endicott took over. Yeah, so Frank um, so Frank took over and he was our reserve grade coach. He came over with the World Club Challenge with the um, – with the Warriors, so all the Super League teams, all the NRL teams basically went up there and played all the UK teams. Yep. And while he was up there, he actually come to the club and said, listen, I want to bring you back. And um, at that time, our club, probably about a month earlier, was starting to get into some financial uh, issues, I guess, and some of the boys weren't getting paid. Yep. Uh, bits and pieces like that. And with the English clubs, they, they, they can be a bit sort of, um, uh, they can end up in that environment quite regularly. Uh, over there, uh, as we just found out with Bradford. Yep. Um, yeah. But um, but it's um, so it was sort of like I said to him, well, listen, I, I, I didn't realise the promotion relegation, you know. So if you finish last, um, you're gone. And our team was pretty average. Yeah. <laughs> we were sort of a uh, bottom two or three all year. Um, you know, we had a good time, but you know, we struggled a lot on the field. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I sort of said to Frank, listen. Um, uh, you know what? The the club's going through some financial stuff right now. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to come home and free up some cash amount. Uh, uh, but uh, if you if you also leave me here till the end of the year, so I can um, so I can help them stay out of relegation. Um, so I said, but you got to talk to the club about that sort of stuff. So yeah. um, so he went and negotiated with the club, um, and they were cool to let me go. Actually, me and Tony Tatupu. Uh, ended up coming back, um, and uh, we stayed there for the rest of the year, and then came back and, and uh, it's the bridge, you know. So, um, so that was that was basically the only reason I came back. If the club was financially stable at the time the World Club Challenge was on, um, I would have said no. Wow, you know. So, um, yeah, my, my my journey would have been probably a little bit different, you know. Well, that's the, uh, the interesting but, part. Um, I was just going to say you you came back obviously, but. You played with your cousin Joe. Mm. For some reason, I always had it in my head that you guys were brothers. I don't know why. Um, Everyone does. There's a slight size difference between the two of you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I always got the impression you played above your weight. Joe didn't have that problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, well, see, I grew up with Joe. You know, every time he's three weeks older than me. Every time we had to play in the backyard, you know, it was always me against him. So I had to learn pretty quickly how to handle the big fellas. Yep. And also when I got the ball run away from the big fellas. <laughs> so Jeremy probably taught me everything I needed to succeed in the NRL. <laughs> nice. And Joe was pretty quick for a big guy. He was a talent and a half. Like I always felt we got robbed of seeing more of him here down, down here in the NRL. Oh, man, you know what? He was actually a really sort of, when we were coming through the grades, him and um, a guy named Adam Richardson, they used to have battles all the time, um, and everyone was sort of looking forward to seeing these two, I guess, spend a lot of time competing against each other in the NRL. Um, Joe actually resigned when he resigned for the Warriors. He signed for four years, but then the Warriors went, um, or the Auckland Warriors, I guess, went went bust, and the New Zealand Warriors came into effect. So all those contracts became null and void, and he couldn't. Because we actually, fought, I remember we fought because a few other players were in the same position. Yeah, uh, the guys didn't, couldn't get salary cap exemption because it was, uh, I think it was like November, and every club had already filled up their cap. 
Players Association were fighting for it, but, but didn't get anywhere. Yeah. So basically, all, the guys had two choices. You signed for peanuts or you leave. And he'd actually just signed a four-year deal. So basically, most of them left yeah. and went to the UK and it was Super League. So they were getting decent coin over there. And uh, once they got there, you know, a lot of them didn't come back. Yeah, but, but Joey was someone. When, actually, when I got to the Bulldogs, um, they actually asked me, listen, would your cousin come back? And I said, oh, I, I speak to him all the time. I'll, I'll ring him and ask him. Ring him, had a chat. And he goes, um, over here, he goes, the forwards don't run more than um, 60 metres. Yep. He goes, uh, we train, we're done by training on Tuesday and Thursday by 12 o'clock. On Wednesday, every Wednesday, we have a team get-together with one of the boys owns a pub. We have a good time. Um, and there's no skin folds. And there's no uh, – <laughs> and we're not on um, – we are not. We don't have nutritionists, you know, where we don't do extras. He goes, and I'm getting paid more. Yep. He goes, why would I want to come back? <laughs> and I said, uh, and I said, hey, are you guys looking for a setup? Because <laughs> I was training at the dog scene under Billy Johnson. Oh. Uh, you know, who was borderline uh, uh, psychotic, uh, but, you know, uh, a really good trainer. I just yep. didn't know it at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and thinking, oh, man, you know, and w- when I got off the phone with him, I sort of spoke to the club and I said, listen, there's no way Joey's coming back. Yep. You know, he's done. And there was probably no way he'd be back in the NRL. So it, it was a shame because he was actually uh, he was actually a really, really talented player. And, like, for our growing up with the Auckland teams and, and through our junior club, for the first 10 years, we only had one penalty move, was tap and give it to Joe, you know? And he, and everyone would actually turn around and walk back because after he scored the try, he would actually take the kick as well. So, <laughs> so we're all back at halfway waiting for him. What a classic. Uh, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a shame. Uh, it was a shame. And actually, so it was only really when we played test matches that people got to see the type of uh, player that, that yeah. um, he could have become because he used to have um, – he, he started having battles with uh, Webkey. So yeah. him and Webke used to go at it all the time, and when you think of someone like Webke, there yeah. wasn't too many people that could uh, that could give that guy a run for his money. Mate, he's he's a good player. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Um, so yeah. you've gone to the Bulldogs. You've tried to recruit your cousin, uh, yeah. which is interesting. <laughs> then I tried to leave. Mate, that would have been a decent front <laughs> row. Same phone call. Decent front <laughs> row of um, Price and uh, Vangana. Um, <laughs> you had the game that there for three years. Um, mm. How disappointing was having 2002 taken away from you? Yeah, it was pretty. Um, I, I probably didn't realize it much at the time, but but looking back, it was it was pretty devastating. I think because you know, as a player, you're taught to you just handle situations. If you're out on the field and someone gets sent off, well, we're a man down. We have to cover. Uh, you know, if you're going overtime, you're going golden point. Well, you know what? Just find something and and keep defending or keep running or keep tackling. You just find stuff yeah. and you overcome. You build up. You, you become quite resilient. Yeah. Yeah. And when all that stuff happened, it was it was probably more a shock than anything because we we had three games left in the season. We played a Friday night against Para, yeah. and it was actually the first game that I thought that year we were actually everyone just clicked. So we were actually really clinical in that performance, yeah. and everyone did their job and knew their role. And it was like, okay, we're building towards the, the semis now. Uh, we had a decent season, yeah. and now we sort of just clicked into gear. So now we're ready. And then we'd come to recovery. We actually came to recovery the next morning, and there was heaps of media there. And we just thought it was because we, you know, we had a good performance the night before. But it was actually because of all that salary cap stuff right. that that thought. And, and you know, no one knew anything about it. And we were like, "What do you mean salary cap? Like, 
you know, so, so it actually took a while to sink in. And then we had to have all these, I guess, emergency meetings and all that sort of stuff throughout the week. When that happened, it sort of started heading home that, you know, um, that we could have been, our season, you know, was basically could have been finished. Yeah. And um, and I don't think we really sort of understood the the severity of it with regards to, oh, well, we'll just do it next year. But the impact of the salary cap, or some of the impact was we had to offload players. So guys like Paul Rohihi had to go to Cowboys. Yeah. Travis Norton, Travis Norton went up there as well. Darren Smith retired yeah. for the fourth time. You know? The fourth uh, of his 84 you know, retired, actually, yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't until the following sort of preseason, I guess, that we sort of realised, sucks, we've actually lost a chunk of our team. You yeah. Know? Um, and we've been, we, we had an opportunity taken away from us that we'd prepared for for the last sort of 10 months and, you know, busted our ass training for Um because some guys in the office were doing some stuff that wasn't right. You know what I mean? So, the so interesting part, now, quickly huh? about that, do you think that the the way that Super League sort of impacted um, player salaries in that in the years prior probably was the biggest reason you guys had just no concept of this happening? Oh, no, I think it was just more... It's just more the way... Like when, you, when you're negotiating a contract, you do a contract, you get you know whatever you negotiate, and that's yeah. it. You don't sort of talk to the boys about what they're getting. And the salary cap is obviously the sum of everyone. So we don't know what everyone's getting. You just go out there and you just assume that these guys in the club are doing the right thing by the game. Yeah. You will do the right thing by the club. And I think that was that was a, a probably a big um, a big factor. Some of the other guys or some of the older guys like Darren Smith and, and Pricey, some of these guys, um, Steve Reardon, you know, Reardon was it. They, they, Glenn Hughes, they sort of understood and realise the impact because yeah. they were getting towards the back end of their career. Yeah. So they sort of thought, you know what, man, this guy's has just robbed us of this or taken away that or they've they've, they've stuffed up stuffed us up in this area. Whereas I guess, uh, you know, I think I was 25, 26 yeah. at the time, thinking, oh, you know what, there's still a few more years. I don't yeah. know, we'll work something out. And uh, you know, when you look at it like that, it's sort of you, you looked at it a bit different. Um, but I don't think the salary cap. Actually, one thing that was when we started preseason the following year and realised that there was, um, you know, a chunk of our guys that were supposed to be here that weren't. Yep. Another thing I guess that sort of struck a chord with, with our group was uh, there was a there was an article, or it came out actually that six teams uh, went over the cap that year. Yeah. And and you know, one of them won the comp. Or, you know, they said won the comp, you know what I mean? So it was like, and we were like, well, how does that work? You know, and I think for us that was, it was almost like, you know, well, so the, I remember the following year there was sort of these, um, there was the big sort of dogs, roosters type of games. Ricky Stewart was at the roosters yeah. coaching at the time, and he's an ex, he was coaching at the Bulldogs a couple yeah, of years yeah. earlier, so there was a bit of rivalry there, all that sort of stuff. So um, during my time at the dogs, we had a bit of a rivalry with the roosters, and um, and and then that sort of just added to it and all the rest of it, you know. So it was um, it was an interesting time. <laughs> Winning, I wanted to ask you um, about those three years. The stats that I found were. 61 tries in 76 games. That period, were you scoring tries for fun or did you actually have to try? Um, you know, um, it was actually a lot of fun. You know, yeah. A lot of fun. But uh, sometimes you just fit into environments with the style of play that you have. And I, you even see it now, guys like um, Adam Blair, you know, does really well at, at the Storm. Goes to the Tigers, doesn't really sort of connect with their style. Goes to the Broncos, becomes you know one of the top three props in the world again. You know, yeah, yeah. So sometimes some players just fit at certain clubs, 
And for me, at the dogs I found, I fit there because it was one of the, well, it was only the second club I'd ever been to. But one thing I found out about the dogs, everyone knew their role. Just do your role. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're a Darren Britt and you've got to go through the middle, just go through the middle. And if you're a Luke Patton and you're a fullback, just be next to Darren Britt because he's got that late offload, you know. Uh, he's got a bung elbow <laughs> as well because of it. But just be there. That's his role. Yep. So because everyone knew their role, if you did your role, opportunities would come up. Yeah. So it actually, it was actually sort of really enjoyable time for me at the Dogs because I thought I fit and and uh, at the Dogs really well. And then um, on defense as well, their defense was it was like a Mongol type of defense. You know, the Dogs of War mentality and all that sort of stuff. Steve Folks was our was our uh, coach at the time, so a big part of that was, you know, what, let's just um, let's just jam them. Get so up you, that was the umbrella, still the umbrella. Yeah, defense, we had yeah. up and. In. Yep. And the philosophy around that is uh, leave an overlap for the other team, right? Just go in and jam the inside guy. Now, if you've got four guys jamming the inside guy, so if you've got four guys on the right edge jamming them, then they've got to get five passes to beat you, right? Yeah. So you know what? Let's take the gamble. So if they are good enough to get five passes under pressure, hit the yeah. mark and hit their runners, they deserve a try. Gotcha. That was our mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so our mindset was like, you know what? If we're, you know, they've got numbers, but you know, so what? Let's see if they can pass under pressure. And if they do get away with it, one thing it does do is actually makes them look the next time. Because if, if they just get the pass away and we crack them, they'll be looking for it next time. Gotcha. So they'll be going, you know, so next time there might be a drop ball there because one eye's on the ball and the other eye's on, you know, Willie Talau come in and, you know exactly what I mean? Right. You know, so... Um, so it actually worked really well for us. And that was a simple way for me to defend as well. Yeah. Just pick a guy and just go for him. So were you, were you, how much How much were you communicating? Who was your winger for most of those years? Uh, has, me and has. Has. So did you guys, in, in in those situations where you're jamming in, were you the shooter? Were you the main shooter or was has? No, no. But we just follow the guys on the inside. Okay. So I was, for the, for, for the most time I was at the dogs, it was Has on the wing, me, uh, Braith, and then the back row is sort of changed here and there uh, between uh, Darren Smith. Uh, who else was there? Uh, Mace was out there, yep. Willie Mason. Um, um, so those sort of guys were coming, you know. So basically, whatever Brace did or whatever the the, the, the halfback did or five eight, uh, we just take the next guy in line. Gotcha. And 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 has it been there for a while? So he knew. Uh, oh, it was a pretty simple way to defend, really. Well, just the, take the next guy in line. Mate, didn't didn't complicate it, so you weren't thinking about more no. than what was just in front yeah. of you. And, and the thing about that, and you'd see it a lot, for people to get around that umbrella, there's two ways. You've got to pass under pressure really good, or you've got to throw that, that you know, Sydney Harbour Bridge over. And when you throw that looping pass, it buys you time for the cover. So if you look back at the dogs, and they talk about um, Turvey Mortimer, yeah. how he was an awesome cover defender. It's because all those teams back then looped the pass over and it gave Turby an opportunity to come out the back. Yeah. So now he's renowned for his, you know, cover tackles. That was just but that was just his job. It was the byproduct <laughs> of the style. Yeah, yeah. But you know, at the same time, that's you know, just um, doing your job. If yeah. they get past you, cover out the back. So it actually worked really well for us. The next part of that question was actually you go to Cronulla and yeah. things things don't work as easily. Is yeah, that yeah. is that as you say? Is it more the style that Cronulla were playing, or was it the quality of players? I don't mean that in a disparaging way of the guys you oh, played yeah. with, but it's is it the style? It was the style significantly different yeah. at Cronulla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely because the one of the 
like say at the dogs in their halves, for example, we had um, Shifty, we had Brent Sherwood, yep. Wraith and Asta, and John O, right, Thurston. So we had guys who could see, you know, could see stuff and just run with it. Yeah. You know, and there's that many times that those three guys would shout at each other on the field <laughs> because they'd go off and do something. And then we'd sort of score from it, then they'll be happy again. You know, or they'll take a field goal here or a snapshot. Yeah, gotcha. And so they're just sort of like, they were kind of like ad-lib guys. When I got to Kamala, uh, Kamali was running everything. And Noddy plays a different game to those guys. Yeah. Noddy plays a game plan. And you give him a game plan, he would execute it to the to the T. Gotcha. Really, really good at that. And it worked at Melbourne. And um, what's his name? Uh, Oaks was a coach. Chris Anderson was, yep. was the coach at the time. They brought it in. But Cronulla, uh, traditionally, were an ad lib team. You know, Matty Rogers, Richie, yep. uh, David Peachy. Yeah, they yeah. had the flashy backs that sort of, you know, did all that sort of stuff and, and brought the crowds alight on a Saturday night at Shark Park. And they, their forwards were the, the Martin Langs and the Nathan Longs of the world. Just the, the, up the guts, you know, run as hard as you can. The Craig Greenhills yep. and um, and that sort of mind, you know. So Les Davidson, they had it for years. The yep. Sorensen brother, yep. This, all that sort of stuff. When when um, when Oates come and try to change it, there was it was sort of like half the team were trying to play a different style, and other stuff were still learning. Yep. And so people were still trying to understand which ways and stuff. So um, when I got there, I was more it was more a, a teaching sort of learning different style. And helping the younger guys understand how to play that style for us to be competitive, gotcha. as opposed to getting to the dogs where oh, everyone already knows their job, so I'll just do my own job. Just fit in where you need so, to fit in. Yeah, you know, you know. So when sometimes when you get to a club and and, you, and I was considered one of the senior players there, you sort of got to look after a few other guys and, and and try and help them along. So you got you might have three or four different roles, as opposed to one where you just go and do your job and you just focus on that. Yeah. Um, so it was it was it was a lot different. It was a lot different. Uh, but I, it was still really enjoyable, you know, training and, and you know, uh, being that close to the beach, you can smell the sand. <laughs> I was going to say, how um, how did it feel in uh, October last year when they won? Oh, you know what? I was really happy for them. You know, it was, it was, it's been a long slog and, and, and for the people in the Shire, like, to think like maybe three or four years ago, you know, the papers were going, yeah. you know, it was all over the media that the Sharks were relocating and, they were on the borderline. They haven't got this development over the line and yep. all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was, it was. There's been when I was down there. There was a lot of tough times, and and there's been a lot of tough times in the Shire for a long time. And and I guess to get the monkey off their back and, and finally get that win was really, uh, I think, was really good for a lot of the old supporters or the older supporters, I guess, at the club that. Um, have been through the thick and thin. Yeah, uh, and I know some of those guys that are that are sort of sixty and seventy, and and you know bump into them, and they're still sort of really, you know, happy that the team won. Yeah. You know, and because I think it justifies their support over all those years. So um, yeah, I, I thought it was great, and you know, half the stadium, or actually over half, oh, way was, over half, 80, you know, at least eighty percent. At least eighty percent, yeah. Guy blue, you know. So um, and seeing and and I think what it does as well. Is it gives a lot of the younger supporters the, the courage to continue to stick with the Sharks. Because yeah. a lot of the people in the in the Shire might support the Dragons because they won, you know, when Wayne Bennett was there or, you know, they follow the Bulldogs because a lot of the Dogs boys live down there yeah. and they're sort of a fairly successful club every year. Yeah. Um, so because they're, they're now competitive and, and you know, they're, they're the best in the business right now, 
uh, it gives the young guys to go in the shire to go, listen, this is our local team. I'm proud of it. I'm sticking with them. It's funny. You went to uh, the last stop of your career was South. Um, it was. And I've got a couple of questions to ask you on that. One, did you have to sell yourself to South or did Russell Crowe come calling? Uh, they gave me a call. Yeah. I was actually, um, so I was, I was off contract at Cronulla. wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I was actually looking to go back to the UK, yep. uh, possibly France, you know, and just go away for a bit. Like I still had that travel bug. Yeah. Um, and then South actually come come calling sort of um, uh, midnight hour type of stuff and, and tossed up. And, and they just, I think earlier that year, Russell and Peter just won ownership of the club. Yep. So that was actually, they were looking at a new sort of environment, setting up a new culture, setting up a new um, system, I guess, and, and, and a new heartbeat, I guess, at, at the Bunnies um, and wanted a sort of massive overhaul and contacted um, me about coming on board as one of the guys to try and help set it up. Yeah. Um, they contacted um, Roy Asatasi yep. as well. Yep. And Kidwell, David yeah. Kidwell, right? So Kitty. And we'd all been on tour with the Kiwis, right, the year before. And so when they were negotiating, they were talking to each of us. And, you know, we, we were in camp and we'd talk away and we'd sort of, you know, catch up and have phone calls here and there and we'd say, well, what are you doing? What are you going to do? What are you thinking? And I remember saying to the guys, listen, I'm, I'm getting old now, man. <laughs> so uh, I was going to go, but um, for me to... Um, go to South, it works for me and the family because we don't have to relocate. Yeah. So instead of going 15 minutes to the Shire from home, I'm going 10 minutes up the road to, to Redfern. Yep. So I don't have to move. The, the, the family don't have to move. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's a new challenge. And it's actually because South were an inner city club, they're a proud history, um, you know, the, the demographics and, and uh, you know, the dynamics of the environment has changed over the years, some new struggles and new challenges. It actually reminded me of growing up in Grey Lynn in central Auckland with gotcha. my club at Richmond. Yeah, yeah. And I actually saw a lot of similarities and I thought, you know what, um, this is actually, it's all, it, was all, it was almost like going home without going home. So for me, I sort of thought, you know what, I'm, uh, uh, you know. And then when you got guys like um, Russell calling you and Pete calling you, um, um, you know, to come and help them out. And I just think, well, listen, if we help them out and we sort of, um, do do good by them, um, you know, down the back it'll come back and, you know, they'll do good by us, I guess, you know. So so it was a, it was a, it was a gamble. And I remember talking to the boys and telling them that, and, and Kitty was the same, you know, and, and Kid was like, you know, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to do it too. And Roy was, Roy was the best prop in the world at the time. Yep. Yep. And him leaving the dogs was a big thing. But um, they needed that, you know, and, and he needed that. I think he'd been at the dogs since he was 16. So he was ready for a change. So it was, it was like, you know what, um, well, you know what, let's do it then. No. <laughs> so How we all year? did it. We got there and Dean Witters was there. <laughs> going, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, Dino was already there in the kitchen. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so so it was actually really good for us to go there and it was a great challenge. Uh, and that year was uh, it was actually not not as extreme, I guess, but it actually reminded me of my first year at the, at the Warriors. Yeah. When, well, you know, the new hype and all that sort of stuff. You had the South Side uh, Story guys filming you? Oh, man, we had – yeah, that was actually a crazy year. It was actually – looking back, that was a really enjoyable year as well. Uh, and, you know, Russell with all the strings that he pulled, um, you know, we, we had some really good um, stuff happen to us that year. Yeah. And stuff that only Russell could do. Uh, and could offer 
Yep. Uh, so, uh, you know, on top of, I guess, still being uh, a player, I guess, and still being in that professional environment, um, just having that extra twist um, was awesome. You know, we did some stuff that year. The following year, we went to Jacksonville, you know, so yeah. going over and doing a training camp in the U.S., stuff like that, that only um, guys like Russell could do and, and the speakers that he had brought in uh, to come and speak to us were, were pretty um, were pretty special, you know. So so that was actually a really enjoyable time. And, and I remember going to – when I signed and um, it, we released it, and I remember being at training at Cronulla, and we'd had a tough year at the Sharks. And yeah. I remember Noddy, we were in the change rooms and we finished training, we had a shower, and Noddy goes, um, Noddy goes, um, so you're going to South Sea? And I'm going, yeah, yeah. And he goes, uh, and we just won on the weekend, right? And he goes, well, you better, uh, well, you better not get used to winning. Because <laughs> 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 like that year, South had only won three the yeah. following year, I think three or four. So yes. I mean, they were pretty. Uh, but then, you know, the, the, the first year we were there, we ended up making the playoffs. So we made the playoffs, which was good. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, but obviously Souths weren't seen as, as I guess, no. a serious sort of uh, competitors back then, and and it was great to be able to come to the environment when when they won, you know, a few years ago. Um, that was sort of similar to what the Sharkies went through last year, where yeah. you know, obviously they'd been kicked out of the comp, they'd come back in, um, they had a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of challenges over the years. They didn't have a training base and da da da, new owners, so they'd been through a pretty crazy journey, yeah. and uh, and to, to win the comp that year was. Uh, was great for them and, and uh, you know, it was good to see them, I guess, back being, uh, you know, the, the, the proud club that the league is proud of, you know. Absolutely, mate. I think we'll, we'll wrap up shortly, but um, I wanted to quickly just touch on your international career, mate, because I, I get the impression from just having chatted to you now, that's, that's where your, your biggest pride is, I guess, uh, playing for New Zealand and winning, I guess, in 2005. And Richard Caban is now going to give the Tri-Nations trophy to Ruben Wickey. And New Zealand are the 2005 Tri-Nations champions. And how well-deserved after they have nilled the Australians. A comprehensive victory. Hardly threatened in the 80 minutes. And whenever they did threaten, Australia dropped the ball. New Zealand tonight are on top of the world. Yeah, yeah, that was cool, man. You know, it was sort of... Um... Um, you know, one of the big, I mean, growing up, I never thought I was good enough to play Kiwis, you know, yeah. and I remember watching them on TV, but that was about it, you know, and, and, and sort of when I got an opportunity to play, I tried to cherish every moment with it, and, and because I'd come through that Warriors system, we had, it was kind of like the first time that they'd groomed a whole group of young guys at the same time, Yeah. so when we played Kiwis, I played with a lot of those same guys, you know, with Stacey and with Logan and with Joe. And these guys that I come through, Arwen, uh, Francis Milley, you know, yep. Clinton Tupi, Fafili, all these guys. So it was like, shucks, yeah. man, we've actually got, we've got, we're actually in a team of friends. We're just wearing different jerseys, playing different teams. Yeah. You know? So it was really enjoyable. Uh, Dave Solomona, you know, we sort of, um, and then, you know, when we got an opportunity, uh, you know, to play in that final and, and take it out, um, it was pretty. Uh, it, was, it was pretty. It's always good to beat the Aussies when you're a Kiwi, you know. Uh, you know, it didn't happen. Uh, very often when I was growing up, but um, you know it's uh, a bit more frequent now. But it's good that we're competing and, and to be able to sort of, I guess, um, you know, to, to compete with you know uh, the best in the world and and, and um, become an opportunity to be the best in the world is always a it's always a good thing, you know. And and that victory did that have extra significance because of the way I guess that Australia dominated leading into that. 
like that to, to be on the end of score lines obviously weren't fun does that just make it that much sweeter come the time you actually knock them off yeah, yeah it does i mean i've been on some big hidings from the from the aussie boys you know and um and uh, it was just it was it was great to be able because we knew the history and we were always reminded of the history and when yeah. you, i was playing at cronulla at the time actually in 05 and so when i got to the dogs and i got to the sharks uh, uh, you know obviously the the ARL and the kangaroos are a big deal in Australia, so you're always reminded of the tradition and the history. And we were on the other side of the ledger, you know. So to be able to go over there and and win that final was great for because of the I guess the um, I think big because we'd overcome a hurdle that hadn't been overcome before. Like yeah. the Aussies had never lost like a series Seven, in like thirty nine, years or something, or something like that. Mate. Years, uh, we beat them in uh, we beat them a couple weeks earlier in Sydney. Yeah, so. Um, you know, to be able, they hadn't lost in Sydney for like 50 years or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So for us, it was, it probably wasn't, I mean, that 24, um, what was it, 24-0 yeah. game was the first time the Aussies had been held to zero. So when, when they told us about all that sort of stuff, in the one campaign, in that 2005 campaign, we actually overcome a whole heap of hurdles. And I think a lot of those hurdles were mental hurdles yeah. for Kiwis over the years. And scars, I guess, that have been yeah. built up over all the years. And now the the boys get like, you know what? We can win in Sydney, or we can win in Brisbane. We can win in England. We can win a final. We can win this. So the belief changed. Yeah. Uh, three years later, the boys win the World Cup for the first time. You know, stuff like that. Uh, they won the Four Nations a couple of years later. You yeah. know, so uh, they were number one for the last year or two or whatever it was. You know, so it's sort of like uh, for us, it was like we we'd finally overcome that that sort of last hump. To believing that um, that we could compete, you know, every game, yeah, and uh, and I think that was probably uh, more uh, a testament to what we were proud of, as opposed to you know just just winning the comp, I guess. No, I get you. Um, I also wanted to sort of quickly just look at the, I guess, the international game and where it is now. Um, obviously, mm. um, we're both across the fact that the Pacific Tests are going to grow in importance in the next year or so. Um, how exciting is it to know there's going to be more Pacific Tests mid year? Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. And, you know, if we're really serious about growing the game, um, the Pacific is the natural choice. Yep. You know, 44% of the game now are Pacific Heritage. So you've got ready-made players that you're just not giving them games. So now that the, the, I guess uh, they're starting to see the Pacific test regularly and people are starting to realise how entertaining and how much fun these games are as well. Yep. Because for a lot of the Pacific players, um Structure comes second. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, if not, if, if Brett Kamali yeah, was yeah, a Pacific yeah. player, if Brett Kamali was a Samoan or a Togan Fiji, he wouldn't get picked at the team. No, he wouldn't, would he? Because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know how to add lip. But uh, uh, no, it's sort of like, you know, because I think fans are, uh, because the NFL is so intense and everything is calculated and everything comes down to one play yep. or one kick or one pass. Um, everyone seems to be a lot more regimented, whereas in a test match with involving the Pacific guys, they're a bit freer and they're a bit able, a bit more able, I guess, to sort of, um, you know, if you want to do a chip chase on the ten meter, you know, no one's gonna, no one's gonna hunt you down. You um, know? So I think just that excitement factor that's added to, and they're all professional athletes yeah. too, you know. So you, you're getting the Frank Pritchards and you're getting the the Junior Polos and the Kane Evans and the Kevin Nagamas of the world. You know, you're getting these athletes that know how to play league, so that's an added bonus. 
my question around Pacific Test is probably relating back to sort of you obviously played for New Zealand, but you've got mm. Samoan heritage. If yeah. if there were, let's say there were three Samoan games a year, mm. and there were three Kiwi games a year, yeah. how hard would it be to choose who you'd play for? If there was if there was a definite Test matches there for Samoa to play against Tonga or against yeah. Cook Islands, would that be an? Inc- would, I mean, obviously there's a money factor, and I get that. Um, yeah, but the, the the ability to play more Test, do you think that's going to have a a better impact on more players who probably should be playing for Samoa would play for Samoa. Yeah, I would have played for Samoa my whole yeah. career. Yep. I actually started off in nine, so ninety five at the end of that first year of the Warriors. I actually went to the World Cup with the Samoan team. Yep, I found that. Yeah, and it was actually another phone call that I that I was thinking, oh, somebody's due me up here. <laughs> uh, but I actually went to drop off my cousin Joe because he said, oh, we're going to this thing and uh, we've got to, they're announcing the team. Can you drop me off? I'm going, oh yeah. So I dropped them off. And um, and I found a park, and I said, I'll come in, and I went at the end of the room. Uh, they called my name out in the team, you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> so I'm going, I'm going to England, yes. Um, so we were in, actually, we were based in Wales yeah. for four weeks, three weeks, sorry. And after that, we, we sort of stayed over, well, I stayed over, half the team stayed over, and we had a bit of a look around England and, and that sort of stuff, because half our team were up there. So they said, listen, we've got open tickets. If you want to stay over, change your flights. Uh, it's not going to cost you anything and bunk up at our place. So free, free accommodation, free flight back. Nice. Half the team stayed. And we had guys living in Wigan and St. Helens and Oldham, and Witness, yeah. uh, Liverpool. Um, so half the team stayed. So that, that year was actually a really awesome year to be able to go to away the World Cup with the Samoan team. Yeah. And I remember sort of thinking, you know what, this is me. I'm happy to play Samoa for my career. And, and we'll do what we do, you know. The following year, we didn't have any games, but the Super League ran. The Kiwis, you know, and we went to Fiji and we won the nines there. Yeah. And then um, there wasn't any games at the end of the year for Samoa. So I think there was a residence game on or something, okay. or New Zealand residence or something like that. Um, and then, you know, it just sort of went from there. Actually, then Super League the following year had the nines in Townsville, and I played for Samoa again. Well, Western Samoa, wasn't it? Yeah, Western Samoa, <laughs> yeah. So we played for Samoa. And so I played for New Zealand in the first nine Super League nines, yeah. and, I, and there's only been two. And the yeah. second one, I played for Sam Moore. Um, we actually played New Zealand in the final, yeah. and we lost to New Zealand. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, that was funny playing against all the boys. But it was sort of like um, I, I was actually really passionate about growing the game. Yeah. And, and one thing I really liked about Super League was they tried to grow the game. Well, mate, you look at the sort of, look at all the teams uh, that played in the nines. Like there's. Yeah. There's players that would have been playing for Russia and US that shouldn't have been on the oh. same field with you guys, but they went. We've got to. Pl- we've got to. Pl- we've got to be international. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome, man. And I was a really, I was really sort of um, a big supporter of growing the game. Uh, you know how that was done, I'm not too sure. But you know when they sort of, I guess they got back into bed again and, and sort of brought everything back in a bit um, and try to consolidate. I guess after the. Uh, the divorce. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. Yep. But, uh, you know, it took a while again, you know, and I think we're starting to get there now, but this is 20 years later. Mate, it is, isn't it? You know, and, and, I, and I, from memory, I remember when they turned their back on Super League, Super League went and bought rugby, and you look at rugby now. Yep. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. sort of like we could have we been, you know, somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, our sport, you know, so... Um, you know, when when I think about that, I think you know, shucks, we we we've lost the golden opportunity. But you know, it is what it is. But I think that's you, you touched on it before. You, if you had the opportunity to play more tests, I mean, I hate to think about how little football Samoa has played since you played that nines tournament. 
Like, oh, yeah, man. If, if it's, I mean, you know, another reason that, that I, I really enjoy playing in the Kiwis, because uh, half the team was Samoan. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe and, and Tongans, you know, Joe was there. I mean, my cousin Joe, so we had Monty Beetham, yep. uh, Logan, Ali Lotiri was there, Tony <laughs> Pulitua was there, Francis Milli, Henry Farfili, Mutu yep. Tony, Dave Solomura, Matty Utoy, yep. <laughs> Willie Talao. We had heaps, man. So we um, actually one time, I remember one time we had the World Cup in 2000, and we were over in the UK and we were organised training. And we went to the coach, uh, went to Frank Endicott and said, listen, we've got to change training. We've got to push it back. And he's going, well, what's wrong? We're going, oh, Samoa playing the Maldives <laughs> in the World Cup. And, it, you know, half our team at the time was Samoa. The other half were Maldives. You know, yep. Stacey and Richie Barnett, yep. Sean Hoppy. And we're going, so we want to watch the game. All the boys want to watch it. So we rearranged our training so we could watch that game. But, um, yeah, it was awesome fun. But it was great. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that, that that um, I really enjoyed the time of the Kiwis as well because it was kind of like I was I got an opportunity to do both. Yeah. And at the same time, which was really special. You look at it now when um, now that the Samoans are getting a bit more regular, and we sort of when I finished when I retired from the Kiwis, I went and I wanted to help Samoa before I finished. You know, so when I went to the Bunnies that year in 07, at the end of that year, I went to play for Samoa in the qualifiers to try and help grow their game. Yeah, yeah. And Tony Pulitua said, "Man, I want to do the same." Um, and Ali Lotiti, you know, and I said, well, listen, this is what I'm doing. You guys do what you want, but, yep. you know, don't. And they said, no, we're coming too, you know. So those guys came. Willie Talao came. Matt Utah came. We ended up, you know, winning winning the qualifiers and making the tournament. And then in the tournament, Francis Milley came, and I think we probably had 10 Kiwis in there, you know. Wow. Frankie Pulitore played. You know? <laughs> uh, we said Kylie Luluai. So we actually yep. pulled together a really decent squad. Um and I think from that point, it was like, you know what, this we can – and the Tongans did the same. Yep. Arwen Guttenbeard, you know, played for Tonga. Uh, we had – the Tongans had a really good team. Tevita Latu, uh, T-Rex was playing. Yeah. Mopa Jennings was playing. Um, Cooper Vuna. So it was like, shucks, man, we've actually got some decent players from these two nations. And that year, I think Jared, more of it. Jared played for huh? Fiji that World Cup. As he played for Fiji, changed his life that tournament. Yep. Probably saved his life, actually. Mate, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so, you know, that sort of stuff. And I think it was that a tournament in 08 where, where a lot of the Australian public got to sort of see it for the first time. Shucks, we could actually pull together some decent teams. Yeah. When are we going to see them again? Well, and I think that sort of started um, creating a bit more momentum. And, and now we're sort of seeing what we're seeing today, I guess. Yeah, and fingers and hopefully crossed, more yeah, in the future. That's it, mate. I think, you know, we need we need mid-season tests and we need end-of-season tests. Minimum we of four to. games for, you, for, for those nations a year would be just fantastic. I want to wrap up, um, mate, because it's been a pleasure and I can't believe we've been going for as long as we have. It's been fun to chat. Cool. You work You work now. Um, obviously, Welfare and Ed, you've been involved in. Um, I just want to really nail it down to one key question for you. Um, yep. Do we, do, does the game, does the community still understate the importance of role models? Um, I, don't think they, I don't think they understate the importance of it. I think they understate the importance of developing them. Because everyone knows that, you know, if you get a sports person to your school, the kids are listening. Yep. What they don't realize is what it takes to get that sports person to be that type of person you want the kids to listen to. And I think that's what a lot of people under uh, underestimate because that is a lot of hard work yep. and it's a lot of genuine work as well. You can't, you can't fudge that stuff. Yep. Um, so I've been pretty lucky I've been involved in that environment and trying to help the guys uh, in their own journeys. Uh, to become better people, which in turn just makes them a better role model anyway. And, mate, yeah. thank you for that, doing that. 
and sincerely, it's it's not an easy task, but you're doing a great job, mate. Yeah, we've had some fun along the way, you know, but um, no, it's good, you know, and it's, you know, it's really rewarding. You know, I'm really happy to be able to give back to the game in a different environment, and and you know what, the game's given me so much. Uh, you know, it's only um, you know, it's only fair I sort of um, do as much as I can while I can. And what's that opportunity going to present to itself uh, now you're in New Zealand? What 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 are you going to be able to do now you're there? Well, I mean, I finished playing seven years ago now, I think it is, and um, and it's sort of like um, just gone really quickly. And I've done a lot of stuff in Australia, but and helped a lot of, I guess, people and systems over there. But um, at some stage, you always got to sort of um, remind yourself of, of of helping, you know, the people that you grew up with and the environment that you grew up with. So yeah. one of the things that really drive me or has driven me to come back to New Zealand is try and help the league over here. The All Blacks are always going to be successful, and they've created a really special environment, which is which is awesome for New Zealand. Uh, but I want the Kiwis to sort of be able to sort of um, um, do the same, you know. So to, to come back, I can't really complain about what's going on over here if I'm not over here trying to help it. Yeah. You know. So just just trying to give it a crack while I can, while I'm not in a wheelchair yet, in a walking frame. <laughs> uh, but it's also given me an opportunity with the weather over here to wear, wear my cardigans a lot more. <laughs> so, I, I almost, just to people listening, I almost wore one just to make, just, just as we started. But it was been so, 39 degrees or something here the last couple of days, so it wasn't happening. I've seen that. I've seen that's not cardigan weather, brother. That's <laughs> not, not cardigan weather. Um, so, uh, it's great to be back. Uh, you, you mentioned you didn't want to uh, end up with a walking frame. Um, Ruben Wickie's playing the nines. Uh, he is. <laughs> what is going on there? Well, Rubes is actually probably fitter now than he was when he was playing because he's been doing marathons and he's he's actually a beast when he trains. And if you follow him online or you see some yeah. of the stuff he does online, um, um, he's actually in, a, in really, really good shape. Uh, but I think the nines also, off the back of Freddie playing a couple of years ago, um, want to introduce that sort of uh, like an X-Factor type thing. You know, and they've had, you know, Beaver play it and a couple of these guys play over the years and yeah. Ruben, you know, is a hometown hero would just add another factor in, into the environment. Um, but um, no, you know what, Ruben's will go really good. He'll go good. I feel sorry. We actually, when I played for Samoa in that final in the nines and Ruben always tells me <laughs> and so does Anthony Swan because I passed him the ball. We had a move which is called uh, A1 where you dummy the cut runner and you give it to the front runner. You would know that from yeah. your playing days in Canberra. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and I changed the move at the last minute and I gave it to Anthony Swan, who was um, running the dummy. Yep. And um, Rubes just went off me and onto him and just cracked him. Oh. It's probably online somewhere <laughs> and got him a beauty. And uh, even to this day, um, you know, the boys will go, A1, eh? A1, eh? Is that the move, is it? <laughs> um, actually, as you mentioned that, the immediate one that came to mind is when he absolutely leveled Adrian Lamb. I mean that's. Oh yeah. I think that's. I honestly think that's the favourite hit I've ever seen in my life. It's. Yeah, that's a that's a and it was nice and clean. Yep. Poor Lemmy. Uh, and. Um, Does he still flinch every time he sees Ruben? Or. Well, I'm not sure he's allowed to look at them in the eye anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's uh, actually. It'd be you know what I. Not that I hope anyone gets hurt, but it'd be good to see Rubes put um, put one more shot on for the for the crowd, you know, for the faithful. Absolutely. Now, uh, um, the nines happen. You're you're going to be heading along to the nines this year. Pardon? Are you going to go along to the nines this year? Yeah, yeah. They've asked me to do some stuff here and there. Um, so yeah, I'll be out there in a couple of different capacities. So if, so if Rubes does his hamstring in the warm up, do they if they tap you on the shoulder? Are you ready to go? Uh, <laughs> actually, someone else asked me that today. 
uh, I didn't even know Rubes announced it, but uh, uh, my days of uh, my days of playing are done, man. I've done my best. <laughs> uh, You'll be next in line, bro, if you're yeah. there. Good luck with Not that. Me, um, Nigel, I'll be, mate. I'll be at the bar with Stacey. Mate, I'll, I'll join you if I head over. Um, <laughs> buddy, it's been a pleasure. Um, thanks for spending the hour having a good chat about, I guess, what is really no memories worries, for man. you. Um, hopefully, it was yeah. interesting. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks for making the time. Um, everybody, you can follow Nigel on Twitter at Nigel Vungana and same thing on Instagram. Um, see all the places that he gets to go that you don't. That's uh, pretty much um... <laughs> for free. For free. <laughs> nice. All right, mate. I'll talk to you soon and uh, good luck with everything in the future, right? Eh? Good to chat to you, brother. I'll Thanks, see buddy. You when I see you. Just what the doctor ordered. The big man coming out to help. He's tiring. Forwards and Vangana. Vangana will score from there. No one in front of him. Nigel Vangana, the makeshift 5-8, has extended the lead. And that could be enough to get the Kiwis here home tonight. And Vagana runs right behind Fitzgibbon or two. Good step, pushes off Baderas, and then he's away. He's got three little growths on the bottom of his chin, Nigel Vagana, and he loves it. All right, everybody, that's not the footy show, episode 156. Big thank you to Nigel Vagana, my guest today. Hopefully you enjoyed sort of the walk down memory lane for him. Uh, what was great about uh, listening to him chat was just the, the open way that he, he went about exploring the different parts of his career. Look, you can follow him, as I said, at Nigel Vangana on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, does some fantastic work in the rugby league community. And it's great to hear that you know, one of the things driving him to go back home was to help out the game in New Zealand. Uh, up next on Not The Footy Show, uh, who do you want me to talk to? Uh, I know a few players, obviously, through uh, the game and the like. Uh, is there anyone you'd like me to try and get in touch with and do a similar thing that we did today with Nigel? Uh, if you found it interesting, uh, please let us know. I'm at NRL Tweet uh, or Facebook.com slash NRL Podcast. Also, if you can put a rating on iTunes, if you particularly like this episode, that would be fantastic. We're just not the footy show, obviously, on iTunes and the like. Uh, please, a uh, bit of feedback would be great. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. Not the footy show. Show? So thanks once again to Nigel Vangana and I've been Warwick Nicholson. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll speak to you next time. No, not the footy show. Pepsi. <laughs>